In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In this miracle of our Savior casting out the demon and healing the man who was blind and mute, blind, mute, and demon-possessed, there are many lessons that we can meditate on. So I encourage you again, take the readings at home, read them again over and over. Even if you spent this afternoon just reading the Catholic epistle, the Catholic epistle taken from James chapter 4, those easy, quick um, instructions from St. James, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, draw near to God and he will draw near, just spend time with these readings, it's very rich. And when today's Gospel, we hear our Savior speaking about how if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the Kingdom of God has come upon you. I have repeated over and over how we here in the liturgy celebrate the coming of the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God, we know its presence because how it works within our hearts and within our lives. It's not that we come to church hoping that God will save us some, from some problem or some issue, but the Kingdom of God is already at work. And that's why we come to liturgy to celebrate the work that God has begun. Can He cast out demons? Yes. Can He heal the sick, the blind, the lame? Can He raise the dead? Yes, yes, yes. He can do all of this. And these are all signs of the Kingdom of God. And so we come here looking for God to fulfill what He promised to us through the coming of the Kingdom. The fulfillment of that promise that there will be uh, no tear shed anymore. There will be no sorrow, no sadness. This, of course, is going to happen at the end of time, but we begin now to feel the blessings of that kingdom in our lives. Now, people, they'll say, I don't, I don't feel that, Abuna. I don't feel joy like you're speaking about. I don't feel like the kingdom of God is here. I don't feel like I'm celebrating the kingdom of God. And what I want to speak to you about is difficult to say, but I, I, I found it in a, in a book. So I'm going to read from this book. Um, but it, it centers around our love for Jesus Christ. St. Paul in his epistle, the end of 1 Corinthians, he says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be cut off. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And we find that the root of all of our pain, the root of so much of our pain and so much of our problems comes from the divided nature of our hearts. The divided nature speaks about a heart that is concerned about X, Y, and Z over here. And then when we have time, we think about our love for Christ. We think about how much uh, we want to be with Him. I have a story that I want to read. It's a little bit long, but it's, it's the content of the sermon. The story is taken from a book called The Way of the Pilgrim. And I actually believe that this was translated into Arabic as well. 
I might be wrong. But the way of the pilgrim is about a Russian pilgrim in the 18th century. Pilgrim, homeless person, whatever you want to call him. He was um, going from place to place, church to church, doing whatever work he could, but he was making his way from Russia into Kiev, uh, into now I guess that's the, the Ukraine. And he's walking from Moscow to the Ukraine, and he writes, writes this book about how he was trying to learn to follow the words of St. Paul, which were the words that said, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. So he says in the beginning of this book, I went to many righteous men, holy men, monks, everyone that I thought would have an answer for this. And they gave me nice words about prayer, but nobody told me how to pray without ceasing. And then he discovered an individual who gave him the Jesus prayer. And I'll begin, you know, the Jesus prayer, my Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a, you know, this is a book I read in high school. Probably shouldn't have read it in high school, but it's okay for our high school people to read. This book, you can find it in Barnes & Noble. It's not a, a, an uncommon book. It's a common book, The Way of the Pilgrim. Uh, now, The Way of the Pilgrim, he learns this prayer, the Jesus prayer, and he repeats it over and over and over. And, and I think many of you have heard Emba Musa. Uh, the, the, the bishop of the youth say this that we can have these arrow prayers during the day so this prayer is one of those arrow prayers so he learns this prayer and this, this prayer becomes the prayer of his heart my Lord Jesus Christ Son of God have mercy on me a sinner now in the second part of the book the pilgrim continues his way I'll read from that. It says, The next day I came to Kiev, where he was going, and the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to confess. He says, No, I wanted to fast a while and then make a confession and a communion in that holy town. So I stopped near um, one of the churches. I found peace and quiet there. He says, And I began to write down everything I could remember with the most detail. And I covered, he says, I covered a very large sheet. And then I heard in a town five miles away that there was a priest, a very ascetic priest, a very wise and understanding priest. They said about this priest, whoever went to him for confession found an atmosphere of tender compassion and came away with teaching for his salvation and an ease of spirit. Right? That sounds like a good father of confession. Someone who has compassion, tenderness, and you walk away with this peace within you. So, I was glad to hear of this, and I went to him at once. I was very glad to hear um, uh, this, and I asked his advice, and we talked a while. And then I gave him my sheet of paper to see. He read it through, and then he said, Dear friend, a lot of this that you have written is quite futile. It's just, it's not that important. Listen. First, you know, he says, don't bring up confessed sins that you've already repented of. Don't go over them again. Because you, in this you doubt the power of the sacrament of repentance. He said, next, don't remind yourself or call to mind other people who are connected with your sins. And this is advice for all of us. When you come and you say, 
my husband did this and that's why I did that. That's, then we are confessing two people's sins at the same time, not just my own personal sins. Don't connect another person. He says, and thirdly, don't go into all the details of the sin. Just speak about it generally to avoid temptation. And then lastly, or fourthly, when you come to repent and you are not repenting of the fact that you can't repent, that is, your penance is lukewarm and careless. And, and he says you have to repent of things that you can't repent of. I actually had a confession like this very recently. Somebody says, this is a problem for me and I have very difficulty, a lot of difficulty getting over this. It's okay to confess the difficulty. It's a step before confessing the actual sin. He says, fifthly, he says, you have gone into so much detail, but the most important thing you have overlooked. You have not disclosed the gravest sins of all. And this is where I'll pause. Remember, this man is someone who has committed his life to roaming the earth for the sake of God. He has learned to pray without ceasing. He has uh, fasted, written down everything, and is giving a confession. He doesn't have um, the problems that might be in a marriage. He doesn't have the problems that might have come with a job, neighbors, whatever. He's got a very simple life. But this father says to him, you have not acknowledged the most gravest sins of all. And you have not even written them down. He says, what are those? He says, you have not, you do not love God as much as you think you love God. You actually hate your neighbor, you don't believe in the word of God, and you are filled with pride and ambition. A whole mass of evil and all of our spiritual problems come from these four sins. Not loving God, not loving our neighbor, being filled with pride and ambition, and not believing the word of God. And these are the chief roots out of which spring all the other sins that we fall into. Not loving God, not loving our neighbor, uh, not believing the word of God, the promises of the word of God, and finally being filled with pride and ambition. So the, the, the pilgrim says, I was very surprised when I heard this, and I said, forgive me, Father, but how is it possible that I not, I, I'm not loving God, or the creator and the provider of everything? What is there to believe in if not the word of God? Of course I believe in the word of God. I wish well to all of my neighbors. I do not hate them. I have no pride. I have a number. I have a number of sins. I have, in fact, I have numberless sins. But I have nothing of which I am praising myself or boasting, except in my poverty. Of course, if I were an educated man or if I were rich, I would be guilty of these things. But I am not. And so the father looked at me. The spiritual father, the priest, says, "It's a pity, my my dear one." that you have so little understood what I have said. Look, I'm going to give you some notes. Read over these notes and then prepare your confession. So it says he gave me his notes and I began to read them as follows. Now, the priest gives these notes that I'm about to read to the pilgrim. He says, turning my eyes carefully upon myself and watching the course of my inward state, I have verified by, by experience that I, I do not love God, that I have no love for my neighbor. I do not believe 
very much in the religion, in the faith, and I am filled with pride. He says, I do not love God, for if I loved God, and here is that first point, and we can examine ourselves as well. And by the way, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not, this is not something that causing you to feel shame or causing you to feel upset. This is to encourage us in our increasing our love for God. And as many of you know, the, the love that we have is something that cannot be um, uh, satisfied. I don't know how to say this. I'll try to explain it a different way. If you eat spicy food, you know that there's a certain amount of spice that your tongue can take and afterwards it's, it's it. You know I mean? Not that you can't take it anymore, but you're, it's fully stimulated. right? Um, there are things that we can become fully stimulated, satisfied, satiated with. But love is not one of those things. So when we, you know, for those that have children, you first you're married and you have all this love for your spouse. And then you find another child and you find you have all this extra love for your spouse and your child. And then you have a second child and you can't imagine that you can have love for your spouse and this first child and the second child. Love is never exhausted. So when we say, I do not love God, the idea is that I'm not loving Him as much as I possibly can. And I'm not working to increase that love as much as I possibly can. Here he says this, listen. If I loved God, I should be continually thinking about Him with joy. Every thought of God would give me gladness and delight. On the contrary, I much more often and much more eagerly Think about earthly things. And thinking about God is, is labor and dryness. If I loved God, then talking with Him in prayer would be my nourishment, my delight, and would draw me to unbroken communion with Him. But on the contrary, I not only find no delight in prayer, but even find it an effort. I struggle with reluctance. I am enfeebled by, by laziness. And I am ready to occupy myself eagerly with anything that's unimportant. If only it shortens my prayer and keeps me from doing my prayer. My time slips away unnoticed in very pointless occupations. But when I am occupied with God, when I put myself into His presence, every hour seems like a year. If one person loves another, he thinks about that person throughout the day without ceasing. He pictures him to himself. He cares for him. And in all circumstances, his beloved friend is never out of his thoughts. But I, throughout the day, scarcely set aside even a single hour in thinking, uh, or in which to sink into deep meditation upon God, in which to inflame my heart with love for him while I eagerly give up 23 hours as fervent offerings to the idols of my passions. I am forward in talk about fruitless matters and things which degrade the spirit that gives me pleasure. But in the consideration of God, I find myself dry, bored, and lazy. To put it shortly, if love for God is recognized by keeping His commandments, and I do not only not keep, his, not keep them, but I make little attempt to do so, 
then in absolute truth, the conclusion follows that I do not love God. And so I, I share this with you. I share this with you as a first point. The idea of us coming to church, and we were talking from you know, the gospel, that surely the kingdom of God has come upon us. And that anyone who does not love the Lord Christ, let him be accursed. I have to first say, what is the priority in my life? Where is the love of God in my life? Where is the place of the kingdom of God in my life? We cannot think that the kingdom of God is something that's going to happen when we die. Now is the time that we experience the kingdom of God. And they said, uh, several people, not just one, but they said, if you can't experience the kingdom of God here, you can't experience the kingdom of God there. If you don't experience the kingdom of God here, you will not experience it there. The kingdom of God is something we grow and live in from now. This is what, it's so important for us that our children, are even before they can walk, that they're taking communion and they're with us in the kingdom of God. The experience is how we shape our lives. This is how we look through. These are the glasses that I'm talking about. The glasses of the kingdom of God. The lens by which we see everything and everyone. So when we start and we say, I do not love the Lord God, I have to correct that in myself. Second, I do not love my neighbor either. This is for not only am I unable, for not only am I unable to decide whether to lay down my life for his sake or not, I can't decide this and I'm unable to make up my mind about it, I do not even sacrifice my happiness, my well-being, my peace for the good of my neighbor. If I did love him as myself, as the gospel has told us, his misfortunes would be my misfortunes. His happiness would be my happiness. And by the way, St. John Chrysostom himself said it's very easy to, to be sad with somebody. Somebody who... Uh, you know, had, had, there's a death in the family or somebody who has uh, lost a job or somebody that has lost something of value, it's very easy to say, oh, that's sad. But when somebody, something good happens to another person, we're not as eager to rejoice with that person. A lot of times, why is all the good things happening to this person and not even a little bit is happening to me? It's very difficult for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. If I did, um, it, you know, I, he says, I, he goes, on the contrary, not only do I not delight when they are happy, I listen with curiosity about unhappy stories that happen to my neighbor, and it doesn't distress me. I'm quite undisturbed, and what is still worse, I even sort of find pleasure in the problems of other people. Bad conduct on the part of my brother, I do not cover up with love, but I proclaim it abroad with censure. How dare that person do that? Did you know that this person you know, did this thing and that thing? Instead of the bad cover, co conduct covering it up, we proclaim it. His well-being, his honor, his happiness do not delight me as my own. And if they were something quite alien to me, 
um, as if they were something quite alien to me and they give me no feeling of gladness. What is more, they, they subtly arouse in me the feeling of envy or contempt. These two points, I do not love God and I do not love my neighbor. I want us, the other two points, if you're interested, what I'll do is I'll, somebody will remind me, I'll put this in the newsletter for today, just um, notes about, about today's sermon. Today's sermon was centering on the idea anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And I don't, we don't care about the accursed part. We care about the let us love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. And let us love our, our neighbors as ourselves. And let us be critical and examine ourselves and be open and honest when we are falling short in what we need to do in our lives, in our relationship with Christ. Too much time passes and we say, I'll get to it later. I'll do it if I have time. If I have time, I'll focus on this. Uh, what can I do? I have two jobs or I have you know, seven kids or I have um, you know, uh, whatever. I'm sorry, that wasn't direct. <laughs> but I, I have a, all of these things will fill up time. But what we need to do is we need to set time apart so that the rest of our time, which is given to our work and our family and our friends, can be given with the kingdom of God in mind. I was speaking with somebody yesterday who's you know, recently had a, a change in their spiritual life. And so in that change in their spiritual life, they're all focused on Christ. To the extent that they can't focus at work, right? They've gone from one extreme to the other. They can't focus at work. I don't, they don't care about work anymore. All they care about is, is prayer, is reading their Bible. And, and while that is all good, you know, we have to kind of balance between the one and the other. But that's a good problem to have. As opposed to someone who is so immersed in their life that they don't even find a couple minutes to open up their Bible, to say a prayer, to read a psalm. This is, this is something that we can work towards in our spiritual lives. And here we come to encourage ourselves with this. We come here to say, yes, I have to refocus. I have to, I was speaking with the family, have to reorient myself. Does anyone know the meaning of the word reorient? What's orient? What is the orient? The east. So to reorient is to look to the east again. It's a very Christian religious word. To reorient means to look to the east again. To look to Christ again. Let us come to church and reorient ourselves again. Focus on the kingdom. Evaluate our love for God and our love for our neighbor. And where we fall short, confess, repent, change, and move forward. To God be the glory, now and ever in the age of all ages. Amen. Amen.